Thanks for inviting Mission City Church to join you wherever you are today. We've got a great message for you, so let's go ahead and get started. Morning, Mission City. It's so good to be with you today. My name is Cody Landers. I am the student pastor here at Mission City Church. Pastor Matt, he is away with his son, Caleb, uh, as Caleb goes to play football at Texas A&M. I am so glad that Georgia is in the SEC East and A&M is in the SEC West because I'd have a really hard time if we played each other a lot to, to pick who I'm rooting for. So I think what I would do is I would cheer for Caleb and then text Caleb after and say, you know, you ran in front of Georgia. They're just the better team. I'm just kidding for all my Aggie fans in the room. Hey, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 2.4. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to start there. And then we are going to be in a lot of different Proverbs. And um, I'm actually continuing the sermon series for Pastor Matt uh, on Proverbs. And just something to kind of highlight about the book of Proverbs is that Proverbs is beneficial for the saved and the unsaved. And while they are not promises... They are wise counsel and wise advice for us to live our life. And while they're not universal, they are practical for everybody. So that we are in this book and I'm excited to engage with this sermon series. As you're turning to Ecclesiastes 2.4, I'm going to tell you about a a fable um, that I really don't like. And this fable, who has heard of the tortoise and the hare? We're gonna do a review kind of on the tortoise and the hare. And this is one of my least favorite because I'm a very hasty type of person. I was a sprinter in college. I'm very impatient. If you ask my wife, the times I've been in trouble for speeding or doing things because I am impatient, she'll tell you that this, this fable doesn't line up well with me, but it is really good. So we have this tortoise or turtle and we have this hare or rabbit, and, and the rabbit or hare starts making fun of the tortoise. And he says, you are so slow, bro. Now this is 2021 definition, Cody's fable of Aesop. He's like, you're slow. You can't even run. How does it feel to be this slow? He's talking what students would say, trash to this turtle. And the hare's like, I can't believe how slow you are. And the tortoise says, I bet you I would beat you in a race. The hare is thinking, have you lost your mind? Tortoise, he looks at the hare and says, let's race. So of course the hare is thinking, this is gonna be an easy win for me. I'm excited to win against this and I can go on and talk trash for another 50 years to the tortoise. So the tortoise gets to the line, the hare gets to the line, and that rabbit takes off. Tortoise, he's barely going. And if you were watching this, you were probably thinking, what in the world is a hare and a tortoise doing even racing in the first place? But the hare, he he runs off, and right before he gets to the finish line, he looks back and he doesn't see the tortoise, and he thinks, "I, I can just fall asleep. And so he goes to sleep and there goes the tortoise passing him. The hare wakes up 
and he realizes that the tortoise is about to beat him and the embarrassment and the shame of that. And so he tries to pick himself back up and he tries to race after the hare of the tortoise and he loses because he took off, but he wasn't diligent in the race. And today we're talking about success and what does success look like biblically? And so the definition for success is genuine success is lasting, satisfying, earthly, and eternal. But I wanna kind of give us a picture of what success is and what success isn't. And so Ecclesiastes 2.4 tells us that success is not about the accumulation of things. It is not about the taking of things. And so Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, is going to look at his life and realize that everything that he has obtained is empty and vain. So let's read about Solomon. He says in verse four, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines. The delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. This was my reward for all my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity or vanity is a puff of air and a striving after wind. And there was nothing nothing to be gained under the sun. And so Solomon says, everything that I've owned, everything that I've accomplished, everything that I'm about ends. It's like a breath of air. It is gone. It is evaporated. And so if success is not that, what is success? I, I believe that success is a diligence in pursuing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is your righteousness Found in Jesus Christ. In Proverbs 11:4, it says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Success is also a diligence in pursuing a transformed life. He says this in Proverbs 24.10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Hebrews 12.3, being our example is Jesus. It says, consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so diligence is this, over, this theme over and over again about how do you live a life that is gospel-centered, that pursues success daily. We're gonna look at the tortoise principle. 
and seven ways to have a gospel-centered view on success and diligence. The first one that we're gonna see is to write goals down, even in pencil. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. I deal with students and man, I'll tell you what, I, I always ask them, I say, hey, do you have goals for your life? And they say, I don't, I don't, I'm just trying to get through whatever grade they're in and I can't wait for the summer. I say, well, what's your goal for today? To get home and play video games. It's like, what's your goal for tomorrow? To play video games? They get, oh my goodness, you don't have any goals. But how many of us do we have goals for reading God's word? For setting aside time to, to pray and to seek the living God and saying, I, I have this goal and I'm gonna stick to this goal. I'm gonna be disciplined in this goal. I'm gonna pursue God with this idea that my life needs to be more transformed day by day by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we don't have goals, we are disorganized and things become a mess. And so a person that Proverbs says that lacks vision, that lacks goals is never going to be able to build rights. And how many of us pursue goals in our lives, in our careers, and, and, and the way that we disciple our family and the way that we go about even the small details of our life? So the first thing that we see is that we must write down our goals and even, in, even sometimes in pencil, like literally writing those goals out so that we're reminded and we have a visual to see. The second thing that we see is get wise counsel. Proverbs 15.22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 14.7 says, leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. I had asked my boss, Don, he's one of the wisest people I know in my life. And I asked him, I said, hey, I wanna grow. I wanna, I wanna be better. I wanna become more of a man in Christ. And he said, there's gonna be some hard conversations. And I said, I'm definitely ready for that. So we set up a meeting and the day of the meeting, I'm thinking, anything he tells me, I'm gonna figure out before he tells me so I can blame someone else shift the blame, I can be angry, I can start to point out things that I think that he needs to work on and, and, and just completely become innocent. And we get to the meeting and he begins to tell me some things that I knew deep down in my heart were true. And yes, they were tough, but they were good. And they were beneficial for me to hear. There is people, everyone in this room, whether you're six or you're 102, needs people around them to tell them some tough love. And a lot of times, wise counsel is not what you want to hear, it is what you need to hear. And we have had a society tell us that we can't have these tough truths, but they are so beneficial to say, hey, that area of your life, 
is not Christ-like, that area of your life is not godly, that area of your life needs to grow. You need to be sharpened in this to be successful in your doings, in your, in your life. You need to be able to, to grow in this area and, and be willing to let down your guard and listen and then put it in the practice. I have found that I need less pats on the back and more people that see my blind spots and can go, Cody, that's a weakness and it will knock you out. When I played football in high school, we had a play and I was, I was a wing back and um, our fullback would be at the running back position and he would, our center would let the nose guard through. And so the nose guard thought to himself, he had an easy shot on our fullback. And his eyes would light up. He looked like he had won something grand or whatnot. And so he would light up and he'd be ready to tackle our running back and probably get the biggest hit of the week. Little did he know that me at wingback was coming full speed to knock him out as hard as I could. And it was always fun to watch as I was running because every time they would break down like they could not believe that the center was not blocking them. And he was blindsided out of the play. When you don't have wise counsel that is willing to teach you truth and to tell you hard things and you are not discipled and discipleship is not a priority in your life, you will find yourself blindsided by the trials of this life, by the things that come up that you do not have experience in and by the things that are going on around you. Wise counsel is valuable and everyone in this room needs it. Discipleship is this process of not just having a Bible study. I think that that's this missing piece in culture. Discipleship is inviting someone to live life so that they could see the gospel in you. Also teaching them about the word of God, teaching them the things that Jesus has commanded, but it's also showing them because it's more than this. It's by how we live. And so surrounding yourself by wise counsel allows you to be in that process of discipleship. Third thing that we see that that builds this success of diligence is to put first things first. Proverbs 24, 27, it says, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. After that, build your house. So so what he's saying is like, make sure that the things that are going on in your life, that first things are first. When I started in ministry, I thought that pastors literally read their Bible all day and prayed. Then I started working with teenagers and I realized that it is really hard to find time to do that. This is kind of how my day flows. I wake up to a gazillion text. The text after that, or why are you not replying to my text? I'm like, because it was 3 a.m. I was asleep. Then I'm going to schools to reach those schools with the gospel and serve our community well. 
I'm trying to create events that will attract students so that they can hear about the gospel of Jesus. I have students that go through really hard things that I'm trying to mentor. I, I try my best to, to contact it, all our first time guests and there's task after task after task after task. And I think to myself, when do I have time to read God's word personally? When do I have time to pray? And then I hear these words of Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther, who Martin Luther was asked, what do you do when you're so busy you can't pray? In the morning he says, I just get up two hours early. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm getting up two more hours early. But I have to find time to prioritize my relationship with God or my ministry will never be effective. I have to time, find time to have a personal prayer life that, that is honoring to God where I say, God, I'm submitting all things to you and, and I trust that everything that, that is next will be taken care of if I give you this. And is it perfect for me? Absolutely not. There are seasons where I greatly struggle with this and I have to be disciplined to pull myself back in and go, God, I want you to be first. I want you to have everything that is in my life for you to be priority. And a lot of times our lives are scrambled and we don't know what to put first. Put your Lord first and then build. We often try to build a, a roof without a foundation. We try to build a door without the frame and it doesn't work. And we find ourselves trying so hard to get a flow of life and it just doesn't happen. Trust God enough to put him first and then start looking at areas of your life and go, okay, what's next? What's next? Is it, is it family? Is that real for you? Is discipleship of your family real for you? Is, is your job, where is that on, the, on this list? Where is television on the list? Where is your phone on this list? If you have seven hours of screen time, what is that? So learning how to prioritize in life for the believer and the unbeliever is creates success in anything. The, the next thing that we see is finish what you start. Proverbs 12, 27 says, whoever is slothful will not roast his game. He won't be able to cook it basically, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. And I wanna read to you, there's a book by, for pastors and it's called Don't Quit Before You're Finished. Basically don't start something and then quit because it's, so, it's really easy to start, but it's hard to finish. And, and Jimmy Draper, he has a lot of points in these books, but I think that these are beneficial for everyone in the room. The first is don't fall into temptation. You want a fast way to quit is fall into temptation and let God remove whatever calling he has because you fell into something that destroys and sin is death knocking at the door waiting to destroy. The second thing is you can't please everyone. You can't. 
If you, God has called you to something, there's gonna be people in your life that struggle to see the vocation that God has for your life. The third thing is be quick to forgive mistakes. Ah, that's hard for some of us to let go of past pain. When I ran track at Wayland, we were, we were pretty good. We were, our four by four was ranked fifth in the entire country at the time. We had um, our A, B, and C teams were all ranked in the top 25 in the nation. But there was a team called South Plains. And South Plains is one of the best track schools in, in the world, actually. Um, they were junior college in Leveland, Texas. And they had a chant. And if you heard the chant and you were beating them, it was bad news for you. It was like a horror movie because you would be running and you would hear the chant and you would try to run faster and there was nothing you could do because here comes South Plains and they're gonna just blow past you. In all my times of running against them, I realized that if I heard that chant, there was no chance of me winning the race. I also realized that no one cared who was first the entire time because it wasn't about how you started, it was how you finish. And South Plains was just diligent in their process. They knew when to seize the moment and they knew how to finish. How are we building our life to run the race of endurance? My, I, I saw a picture on Facebook of a kitten and a baby bottle with the kitten. And I thought to myself, I need to score some points with my wife. I want her to love me because she's really pretty. And, and anytime I can score points, that's always good um, because I'm usually in trouble because that's just my personality. I'm just kidding. But maybe not actually. But... I see this kitten and it has blue eyes and it looks adorable. And so I think to myself, eh, kitten, what, what can go wrong? And so I drive clear across San Antonio. I did not know how large this city is. You just keep driving. But anyway, so I get there and I pick up the kitten and it's, it's like this big. And so I, I'm in love with the thing. I, I try not to admit that, but I, I liked it. It was nice. And so um, put it in its little carrier and it's just staring at me the whole drive. And I, I go to my wife's job and she's at lunch and I, I show her the kitten and surprise her. And there's that moment of excitement. We get the kitten home and all that cuteness kind of goes out the window. Because I realized what I just had. I have a kitten. Kittens are the most energetic thing. It's like the, the battery that has the extra lasting life in the battery. That's that kitten. It never stops. It, it runs constantly. It's always trying to jump on you. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I get? What did I commit to right here? If I was to end this illustration and tell you, yeah, so I just threw that cat out and said, good riddance. You'd be thinking to yourself, that's terrible. You committed to that kitten. I can't just walk away from that commitment. But oftentimes I see, and, and that's just a cat, right? That's a cat, it's a pet, and it's an adorable pet, and there, there'll be a loving life with us. But how many of us commit to things that God has called us to 
and then we quit premature. Some of it is conviction of sin. I'm gonna get rid of this addiction, put my eyes on Jesus and trust that he's gonna redeem me. And then two days later you fall and you go, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm just gonna sit in this sin because obviously the power of God who resurrected Jesus from the dead is not sufficient to help me overcome this area of my life. And so we quit premature and not allow the process of transformation to take root. But what about things that God has called us to in general, to, to be a leader, to be someone at your workplace that shares the gospel, not just through your words, but through the way that you go about your every single moment of your day. And we, we neglect because things begin to take priority over us. God has called every single one of us in this room to something. Are you willing to finish what you started because it's important to do. Next thing we see is stop, look, and listen. Proverbs 28, 20 says, a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. So what he's saying right here is take time to stop and to look and to listen to those around you before something becomes a train wreck. Um, I, I get in trouble sometimes in student ministry because I, I have a lot of ideas for our students. I want our ministry to be fun. And sometimes it turns into a chaos train wreck. And so I decided to get a squid. It's like squid, frozen squid. And I saw some student ministry do a squid war where they were taking the squid and basically pulling it apart. I didn't realize that that meant a smell of squid for the next three months on top of middle school boys sweat. And so squids all over the place. I'm thinking, well, bleach will take care of that. Bleach did not take care of that. Our building smelled like squid for the longest time. And I wrote in my little notebook, don't ever do squid again. But at the time I thought to myself, this is a great idea because I didn't stop, I didn't look and I definitely didn't listen to everyone that was telling me this is gonna be a really bad idea. You probably shouldn't do that in an indoor space. But we make decisions sometimes like that where we don't stop we don't look, we don't, we don't look for advice, we don't look for ways to, to find um, what is around us. We just go in and we become impulsive and it's dangerous. A diligent and disciplined person is a person that understands the ability to stop and look and listen. And we miss that sometimes. The next thing, and this is one that I'm really passionate about because it's kind of a contrast, but it's important is work hard, but don't work too hard. Work hard, but don't work too hard. This is hard for a lot of us 
Proverbs 22, 29 says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Proverbs 23, four through five. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle towards heaven. And so there's two points right here. One is that I believe that Christians should work hard. Christians should be the hardest working people in the workplace. Whatever capacity, whatever vocation you are in, people should see you and they should see that you have a strong work ethic, that there is nothing about you that could be called lazy. I'm very proud that we work at a church with a staff that is driven and has a good work ethic because there is a lot of churches where staffs hide in offices and they don't know how they engage their people well, but we have a culture of work ethic. I, I believe in a principle that if, if there's anything that I'm doing and I have a task, do not waste even a second on a distraction. Be completely engaged with whatever is in front of you and work really hard at it. And I, I believe that the Bible right here is like, as a Christian, we do not work for man. We work for God to bring him glory in anything that we do. Because there needs to be hardworking Christians in every single capacity in the entire world. Because that is the greatest mission field that you will ever have in front of you. And you are far more effective in the workplace at reaching lost people than people coming into our church. That is the front door to the gospel, the changing of someone's life. But on the contrary, Proverbs then goes, remember, if you work really hard, know when to stop. And realize that you become, you're creating an idol with your work. And this is the problem that I see is that we are discipling if we put our work and we put our occupation above all things, including our relationship with God, with our community, with discipleship, with worship, with the things that God has called us to outside of work, even our, our rest then we are discipling the next generation to believe that your occupation and your influence and your power is the most important thing in life. And then they replicate that through how they do their life. I had a student get saved and, and I, I set him down to disciple him. And I said, hey man, when can we meet? Because we, we really need to get you in a reading plan. We need to, we need to have you learning about the truths of God's word. Um, and he looked at me, he said, Cody, I don't have time for this. And I said, what do you mean you don't have time for this? He said, so I get up at six and I go to my club practice. He said, we do stretching and yoga. And he goes, then after that, I go right to school and I go to school and I go to my regular team's practice. And then I, I go to school all day. Then I go to another team's practice. And then after that, I, I go again to club practice because I have another club that I'm on. And he goes, then I do homework. And then he goes, sometimes I eat dinner with my family. Sometimes I don't. And then I play video games if I have time and then I go to bed at like 3 a.m. 
And you'd say, wow, that can't be real. That is 100% real in so many students' lives. And it's because all they've seen for a lot of people is that your work is the most valuable thing. And I believe, and this is probably going to be disagreed with a lot in the room, but I work with them, is that they are not a lazy generation. They are an overworked, tired generation that has too much on their plate. Because we have put the significance of a position over their relationship with God, over the the church, over the things that make them who they are outside of the identity of a job. Man, everyone in this room is beautifully and wonderfully made by Jesus Christ. And we neglect that because we think that who we are is what we do. And that becomes an idol and it is a very dangerous game that we play. And it creates anxiety, it it creates depression, it creates a sense of not having value, it creates this thing where they just don't feel that they belong because they have to be involved in something in order to matter. And it's a tragedy, but we do it too where we sacrifice everything for a position. There's an opportunity to work hard, but there should also be an opportunity to pursue God in a restful way. And if you can't find the balance, you need to reorient your life and go, why is my life the way it is? Because your job is not your God. And we've got to cut that culture in our students' lives, in our children's lives, because it is not Missy's job. It is not my job. It is not Pastor Matt's job. It is not Don's job to disciple your child. It starts in the home. You are the front door to discipleship. And if you're not making time for it because of your job, what is that teaching them about them? And that's a hard truth for a lot of us in this room. Well, Cody, you don't understand. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. My job is always pulling me in a thousand different directions and I have to make time for other things that God has called me to. And so can you. The next thing that we see is do it for God's glory. Proverbs 16, three, it says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Matthew 6, 33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When I got to San Antonio, I, I drove to some local schools with Pastor Matt and he was showing me, he's like, this school is close to us. This school is close to us. And I was looking at the size and I was thinking, this is gonna be really hard. It's gonna be really hard to reach kids with the gospel. And so I had two choices. One, we could be a ministry that that was just centered around games and fun and, and have a good time and just attract students to basically nothing other than a good time and, and celebrate numbers and say, look, our student ministry is a thousand or 500, whatever it is. And it just be about entertainment. That's easy. Or I could say, you know what? I'm gonna go after students. I'm gonna challenge them with the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know that students are depressed. I know that students are addicted. I know that students without Jesus don't have a shot in the planet to be successful in life. 
And so I thought to myself, no matter what it looks like, no matter what the outcome is, I am committing to doing a student ministry that is about God's glory. We had 10, 12 students on a Wednesday. And I just kept telling them, hey, just trust the process. Just trust the process. Just trust the process. And I started going to schools and I started loving the community. And I kept telling myself, just trust the process. And there was moments where it looked impossible. There was months that it just kind of just lingered on and there was no, there was no gain. And then all of a sudden, one student came and then another and then another And now on a Wednesday night, you wouldn't be able to tell what ethnicity is the majority of the room. You wouldn't be able to tell what background or demographic that they come from. On a Wednesday night, we see students, and and on Sunday morning, we see students that come clean about areas of their life that that have been plaguing them down. We've seen students that have given up suicide because they realize that Jesus is better. We've had students that are getting saved almost every week where there's a student that's like, man, I want to know Jesus for the first time in my life. And I look back and I go, what if we wouldn't have done it for God's glory? What would we have been about? But this is the thing, it's not just about the church, it's about you and the glory of God in your life because this is what people need. They don't need to see what you say, they need to see what you do and it should be that that person walks with Jesus every single day. That they know the Savior, that they know the one that hung on a cross and endured all things so that they could have life. You want success, success looks like when you say, I am willing whatever it is in my life to be surrendered to God for your glory and your honor and your good. And so when people see, I don't believe that America is unreached. I just believe that they haven't seen Jesus enough in our daily lives. And we need to run after the glory of God so that a lost world, guys, I'm just gonna say this, San Antonio is not the Bible Belt. We live in a lost city with people all over the world coming to this city. And if we don't get serious about the mission of the gospel, we're going to look around and go, why is there no Christians around us? Quit thinking, oh, everyone's not saved. This world's out to get us. Why don't we reach the world for the gospel and let them be a part of a God that saves and transforms our lives and they can see how good it is to be a part of this mission. How awesome would that be? Because this is the reality of it. You could be a billionaire with every toy and trinket that you could think of and have a healthy life and die in your sleep at 101 next to your wife like the notebook and just have this good, good life. In the next 30 seconds, you wake up and you're in hell because you did not ever surrender to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you could live by the six and not surrender to the seven and and, and realize that it was all a waste because you never repented and believed and trusted in Jesus with your life. 
And just like Solomon, all that stuff was vanity because you will be separated, God, forever. And that is the reality of it. And that moment when people realized that it wasn't about their things, it was about a relationship with Jesus. It was about the righteousness in the gospel of Jesus Christ and pursuing a transformed life. How do you think that they're gonna feel? When they stand on judgment day and they've heard the gospel or they should have heard the gospel because it's our job to tell them and they're looking at Jesus and his hands are out and you can see where the nails went through them because he wanted a better life for them through the lenses of the gospel and yet they did not choose it. Because work was more important, their things were more important, they weren't organized and they didn't have goals and so Jesus never became an option. Man, we gotta be about the glory of God. Because I want everyone in this room one day to look and go and, and, and finish the race and we can say they ran the race well and their life was not marked by things, it was marked by Jesus Christ. Let that be our anthem. Let that be what signifies us as a church. I, I was... I was facing depression and anxiety at the beginning of the year. I don't even know where it came from. It just, it just started. And then I went through a health scare and the whole time uh, people were telling me all different things like, man, you need, to, you need to pray more. You need to seek God more. And I believe that. And so I was on my knees in a unique way during that season. But I kept going back to God and going, God, if, if, this, is, if this pain, if this suffering, if this depression, whatever this is, is to teach me, Lord, just use it for your glory. And I learned this sweetness in a season of suffering, probably for the first time in my life where I've truly just said, you know what, God, whatever the results, I trust you because life is about the glory of God. What if we lived like that? Could we change our city? For some of us in this room, you don't even know Jesus like that because he's not even your Lord and Savior. You never know when you're gonna take that last breath. And I'm not trying to scare you, but man, one day you're gonna look at a, a Savior that suffered on your behalf so you wouldn't have to. And I don't think it's gonna take much words for you to realize what you should have done when you should have done it. Because all that love and the gospel, in that moment, you'll realize why you shouldn't have taken it for granted. Let's pray. God, I just ask Lord. Just, I'm just so humbled, Lord, by the fact that you would give us advice and your word, God, to live. Lord, that we don't run this race aimlessly, Lord, but our creator, our good God, gave us principles of how to be diligent, how to run after you, how to, how to have success that is everlasting, that is eternal, that is long-lasting. God, I pray, Lord, that for some of us, we need to reprioritize our life. We need to set priorities, God, that, that matter, Lord, and it starts with you. Lord, I pray, God, that we would recognize idols in our life and go, you know, maybe my work is my idol. 
Maybe my occupation is the thing that, that overwhelms me and has control over me. God, I, I just pray, Lord, that we would recognize those things and remove them today. Lord, that we wouldn't just hear another message and walk out of this place and go, that, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna keep living my life. Lord, I, I believe today that there's someone in this room that is not saving God. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh God, for us, I, I, I'm so sorry, Lord, for, taking, for not taking it serious the call to disciple. Lord, I'm so sorry for all the times that it hasn't been about your glory. It hasn't been about you, it's been about me. Lord, I pray, God, that our church would be marked by the glory of God. Lord, that when people see us, they don't just see the words, Lord, but they, they see true transformation, Lord, that they see true change in our lives because everything that we pursue and everything that we go after is about you. Lord, because we weren't created for us. We weren't created for our desires. We were created to fulfill the desires of a good God. So Lord, I just pray that we pursue you and we go after you. In Jesus' name, amen. At Mission City Church, we love people and love how the good news of Jesus transforms lives and we wanna see it more every day. Stop by missioncity.church to check out what we are up to that you can be a part of. It is also where you can share a gift to support the ministries of Mission City in San Antonio. Be blessed. Till next time.